Today, we need some joy. You know, <clears throat> it is kind of a strange thing that in the season of Advent, this time of reflection and penitence, that we actually refocus around this idea of rejoicing and around the idea of God's joy. This week leads us into the darkest time of the year. Did you know that the next 10 days? Um, Wednesday, December 21st, will be the shortest day of the year. And that means there'll be the least amount of light. There'll be the most darkness. And so not only is it a time of the year when things physically become dark, but this is also a time of the year when things emotionally can become dark for many people. Many people suffer what they consider a seasonal um, affection of, uh, of depression. They even have a name for it, apparently. It's called winter depression. And uh, it's times like this when people are affected by that seasonal depression. Some of you may experience that. Some of you have experienced grief this past year. Some of you have experienced loss, loss of job, uh, loss of friendships, loss of family. And as we think through this coming year, is there something for us to hope for? Well, I think we can be reminded, we just finished a few weeks ago this series on Philippians. I think we can be reminded that Paul was a great advocate for rejoicing. Paul wanted us to experience joy, even in the midst of suffering. Paul was in prison, not knowing for sure whether he would live or whether he would die. And in spite of that, it says in Philippians that Paul rejoiced and he called the Philippian church to rejoice with him. We don't have to worry about being imprisoned like Paul was, thankfully. But maybe there are things that you do worry about. Perhaps you have been imprisoned in a way this past year that reflects your understanding of that imprisonment. Maybe you were imprisoned or have been imprisoned by a season of grief. Perhaps you have been imprisoned by the fear of the future. Not knowing what the future holds, having enough courage to face the future. And some are perhaps imprisoned in relationships. Maybe the people you work with you don't agree with or you don't really care for. How do you live with that? Even worse, what if it's at home? <laughs> so this time of year could be a challenge. And there is suffering. And all the more reason why we need this good news, that there is joy, that there is joy in the morning. If this is where you have found yourself in the past year, I want to call you to this Sunday of joy, this week of joy, because I believe God wants you to experience a reprieve from your suffering. A 
reprieve where you can once again breathe freely and express truthfully not only your fears and your losses, but your hopes and your dreams. This word joy in our Bible is an interesting word. It comes from the Hebrew word simcha, and it is also then translated from the Greek word because our Old Testament's Hebrew, our New Testament's um, uh, Greek. The Greek word for, for this is Cairo, and all three of these words, or both of these words in the Hebrew and the Greek, gets translated with three different words throughout the scriptures. One is joy, and that's the noun, if you have joy. One is rejoicing, that's when it becomes a verb. And then the third one is glad. Have you ever been glad? Well, if you are experience gladness, that is also joy. So this word, joy, is kind of an irony today because the scripture that you heard Jeff read was a scripture that is addressing the Israelites, those from Judah in particular, their imprisonment. They have been taking, taken hostage in a sense taken away from their own homes, from their own homeland, from Jerusalem, and they have been taken to captivity. And they are living in bondage. They are living in, in uh, substandard situations compared to where they have come from. And they are not allowed to go home. And so this word of hope comes to these Jews in the midst of great suffering. And so the good news, this joyful news, is an important word for the people of God. Because in the midst of their suffering, they are actually being called to rejoice. The reading from Isaiah inspires us to reflect on our own circumstances, I think. And as we reflect on our own circumstances, is there an opportunity for us to find joy, to rejoice, to have hope for the future? In the proclamation of hope in this chapter of Isaiah, the 35th chapter, joy, gladness, rejoicing, these three words that I mentioned earlier, they are mentioned six times. Verses 1, 2, 6, and 10. Isaiah is speaking to an exiled community. They have been removed. And yet, they long for redemption. They long for hope. They're looking for that day when they can return back to their homes. Not only will it be an important day because not only will they return home, but the journey home will be safe. Do you remember hearing that in Jeff's reading? How that highway would be for the righteous? There would be no lions, no beasts, no animals. People that were evil would not be there on the road, which was a common occurrence in biblical days. If you 
or an evil person a, an opportune place to capture people's money would be on the roadway. Today they use the internet, but back then they used the roadway. And so what the promise from God is saying to us is that not only will you return home, but your journey home will be a safe one. You will not have to worry. They've longed for redemption, a day when they can safely travel back because they have suffered. They have been exiled into a foreign land, no longer able to speak their own language, no longer able to worship their own God. This exile has separated them from everything that is important. And so God is promising them something new here. And God wants to give you that same promise during this season of Advent. You see, our imprisonment, our suffering, whether it be physical or emotional or spiritual, is something that the people of God have struggled with for a long time. Um, we are certainly not suffering like some of those Israelites had to suffer. We certainly don't suffer like some of those early saints in the church had to suffer. But we still suffer. And it's still painful. And it still hurts. Our suffering looks different. Yet it's suffering. And it tears at us little by little. It's being imprisoned like Paul because of the harm that he, that he was to the political structures of that day. When he preached the gospel, it didn't just transform people's minds. It transformed their lives and the way that they lived. And some of the changes that were happening weren't really appealing to the Roman Empire. Perhaps you have been wondering where God is in your life. You've been waiting and hoping for Christ to return again. Well, I have good news from you, from Isaiah. Your God is coming, and he is coming to save you. God is on the move, just like he was 2,500 years ago, 2,000 years ago. God is on the move once again, coming to save you from your suffering, from your desperation, from your hopelessness. God is coming. This is the day that we also recognize and give thanks for the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus. We give thanks to God for her, that she listened to the word of God that came to her from the angel. Let me read this little section of scripture for you here from Luke 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, 
God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think about what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will, be, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever, and his kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so that the baby to be born will be holy and will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For nothing, nothing is impossible with God. Mary heard the word of God through this angel. And she did what God asked of her. Yet when the angel Gabriel spoke to Mary, his first word to her was rejoice. That was the very first word that was given to Mary. The word of God came to Mary and told her to rejoice. The greeting goes like this in the translation. Greetings, favored one, or our translation, favored woman. Yet it could be literally translated, rejoice, for God has found favor with you, Mary. God has found grace with you. But rejoicing in joy was not Mary's initial response. Would it be yours? What was she supposed to be rejoicing about? In verses 30 to 33, let me reread those for you. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. The scriptures tell us that Mary felt confused, perplexed, even a bit disturbed from the word of God that came to her through this angel. It says then that she considered these things. Often translations talk about how she pondered these things in her heart. 
Well, what that really means is she had an internal debate going on within her. You know the kind of the debate that goes on in your head, I'm sure, if you're like me. For Mary, it was, does God really love me? Why would God love me? And is this the way God would show this love to me? By making me the mother of his son? And what about Rebecca down the street? I mean, she's much more beautiful than I am. And she goes to the synagogue every day. I only go there once a week. Why would God find favor with me? Have you pondered things in your heart before? Mary still questioning this so-called good news asked the angel, how will this be? And the angel responds to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and will be called the Son of God. And then the angel responds with this conclusion. After telling Mary about her cousin Elizabeth, the angel says to Mary, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Mary responds, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a birthday celebration or a, a joyful celebration. It sounds a little more somber. And so one of the things that we can learn from this, I believe, is that you may not always feel joy when you're called to rejoice. But God is calling us to remember his word. That even in the midst of your suffering, even in the midst of somber, crazy news, that God loves you and that God wants you to rejoice. What would, why would the church recognize Mary on a Sunday of joy and rejoicing? I mean, a little bit later after her visit to Elizabeth, she breaks into song with the, the Magnificat, which is a beautiful song. But even in that song, what she's singing about is the promise of God for the lowly, for the oppressed, for the broken. So how can you rejoice even in the season of Advent? Well, this kind of rejoicing that we hear from Mary, this kind of rejoicing that we, that we hear is a different kind of joy from what we see in the world. I hate to disappoint you if you're hooked into the Hallmark station, but Christmas is not a Hallmark movie. 
You see, this joy doesn't come to escape the realities of your life. Joy comes to help you embrace the realities of your life. This joy allows you to ask questions of God, like Mary did. This joy names injustice in our world. This joy understands the cost of discipleship and still says yes. This is the joy of Advent. That is what this season of Advent is about. This is what this time of preparation is about. It's helping us to focus on the expectation of Christ's coming. Because as much as we're going to celebrate a little baby in the manger, that happened 2,000 years ago. What we celebrate is the commemoration of that birthday. But what we're truly celebrating and what we are truly waiting for is for that Christ to come again. Not as a little baby now, but he will come now as the King of Kings, as the Prince of Peace. And he will come to restore all of creation. And he has come to redeem you and to raise all of us believers, those who have died to raise them from the grave, those of us who are alive to raise us to new life with Christ. That is what we are waiting for. And it is a joyful wait because he comes with the promise So if you're trying to escape the realities of your life, maybe through some imbibing of some particular drinks, maybe from taking a gander at some inappropriate images, if you are trying to avoid the realities of your life by doing a little extra shopping, what Jesus is saying is that don't look to the world for your help. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. That is the promise when he comes again. That you can embrace who you are. Because God loves who you are. God has created who you are. And God wants to bless who you are. So come. And as we prepare for the coming of Christ, may we be granted, of all things, joy. Amen.